Welcome to Sunflower Living, a podcast that believes that life is always worth living. I'm Abile. And I'm Linky. Welcome to our working philosophies on life and living with a mental illness. Before we get started, we are not mental health professionals. All opinions expressed in this podcast are our own. Today we have a special guest with us and I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. She's going to share a little bit about her experience. Renata, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our episode today. Um, Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your wonderful, wonderful organization. Um, My name is Renata. I live in South Africa. Um, I've had quite varied experiences through life, Um, starting as a teacher. um, Well, starting, I studied psychology and education, went on to become a teacher. And later in life, I actually decided I wanted to follow my dream and become a psychologist. So I have recently completed my honors in psychology. Um, My husband and I are planning a new adventure. Um, We're probably going to travel the world and end up, I don't know where we're going to even end up settling. It's just like we're going to be gypsies for a while. So I can't actually do my master's until we settle somewhere because obviously it's um, very culture specific where you actually where you actually end up doing that degree because those are the people that you go to counsel. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's great. Um, I want to start off maybe just with your own personal experience. I want to, I want you to share with us maybe how, how you've experienced what your mental health journey has been and how you have managed to cope, uh, the tools you've used and, and maybe how you would suggest that others, Uh, the path that others should start off with when they are experiencing any mental health issues? Um, I have had, during my life, two that I can remember, very, very um, major um, depressive episodes. Um, I'm really quite a resilient woman, and I have a whole lot of coping skills which I've used, so... I don't think people always saw or I didn't show, which is probably more to the point that I was depressed. Um, the first one that I can remember is a really, really bad. Um, I, I did go and see a doctor. I was put on medication. The medication didn't agree with me, and I took myself off the medication, which was not mm-hmm. a right thing to do. People, if you're on meds, stay on meds until people, your doctor tells you to come off them. Anyway, I coped for quite a few years, and then... Um, Something triggered another major depressive episode. Um, it it was it was horrible. It was really horrible. I mean, that total feeling of utter emptiness, that that sadness, the not wanting to see your family, your friends. The anyone who's been depressed knows you don't sleep. You are gained weight. You just are tired the whole time. Um, you you kind of can't concentrate. You can't remember. It's difficult to make decisions. Uh, your body aches. It's just. Yeah, like I said, you just don't want to see anyone. I even um, had suicidal ideation. I googled how to commit suicide, um, but none of them work, which is probably a good thing. Um, So that kind of put me off that track. Um, I even started cutting myself. And then I realized one night that uh, 
gosh, I'm cutting myself and I'm going to walk out of here and my husband's going to see blood everywhere, which was probably a good thing because then I went off to go and see a psychiatrist to put me on meds and I also saw a psychologist. So for me, medication and psychotherapy, I don't think one works without the other. I think if, personally, I think that if you are depressed, they probably work, they do work both together. And the psychologist I saw used a technique um, she called practical mindfulness, which for me was really, really good. And um, I still use it if I'm stressed. I still use it if I'm feeling anxious. I used it before I wrote exams. I'm using it a lot now because moving home after 14 years, a place my children grow, grew up, is kind of not easy. And also not knowing where you're going is not easy. And if it happens to be the other side of the world, I'm leaving a lot of family and friends this side. So as much as my narrative is we're going on adventure and adventure, the reality is, is that I'm leaving people and friends behind. So I do use that quite regularly because I also know that this is could be a trigger. Um, yeah, and if you want, I could discuss more of the practical mindfulness and how, it, how it's helped me. And it's also helped. I, I've done volunteer work at a drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic. I used it a lot there. Um, with people, even those who were perhaps in psychosis, um, induced by drugs or alcohol withdrawal. And then I've also done volunteer work at a very, very, very well-known telephonic depression and anxiety group in South Africa. Um, and besides the other things which we which we also do, it, it was, they were quite, it, these were quite good. In fact, very good self-help tips to give people to help them cope with different types of emotions, in, not in every case, but in quite a few cases, like depression, anxiety, and that type of thing that they were going through. That's incredible, actually. So I just wanted to kind of find out, so could you maybe give us the, the broad strokes of practical um, mindfulness and kind of like maybe how it, it's helped you and how you've seen it help other people? So mine is very much a sort of pre-seed version that I grab onto when I'm desperate. Mm. Um, and the one thing that you start with is to position a person in time and space. Um, yes. So you put them in the present. And a nice, easy way or quick way to do that is literally the 54321 method where you use the senses. So mm. you'll ask them to sit down and, or wherever they are, to look around and tell you five things they can see. Then you'll ask them to look around or, or you'll ask them to tell you four things that they can feel, which is physically, maybe your hair on your face, maybe your weight mm -hmm. of your body on the chair, that type of thing, your clothing on your body. Then mm -hmm. three things that they can hear, two things they can smell. I sometimes mm -hmm. change those around. Yeah. Um, and then one thing that they can taste. Mm -hmm. And the moment they've done that, then you ask them to breathe with you. And there are different breathing techniques that you could use. Mm -hmm. um, the one is just breathing in and out through your nose, like into the count of four, out of the mm -hmm. count of five. Otherwise, box breathing is very good because you also then get them to count. So it's And it's not like square on sharp edges. It'll be like breathe in for four, hold for mm -hmm. four, out for mm -hmm. four, hold for four. And you count and breathe with them. And then while you're talking, you say, can you feel, and it's through your nose, can you feel the warm or the cold air going in through your nose? Can you feel it goes through your stomach? You encourage them to breathe in that they goes down below their belly button. Um, mm. When they hold it, can they feel the, the holding? And they're breathing out to you completely empty. 
can you feel the difference between the air coming in and when it's going out? When is the when does it change? What does the air feel like when it's going out? Mm-hmm. And then concentrate on breathing. Then you got the fact of um, perhaps the thoughts. And I mean, you could do this different way. Um, the past, the now, the past, the present, the future, okay? Or the now and the past and the future. And right now, they're feeling totally safe. They're talking to you. They're in a safe space. Mm-hmm. Completely and utterly safe space in the now. And then the past. So we all think of the past in positive and negative terms. But the past is just thoughts. Mm-hmm. We use the past to get to where we are in the present, yes. But we could do nothing about the past. And those thoughts is all they are. They can't harm you where you are right now. Nor can mm. you get the good back right now. So, yes, they, they influence where you are in the present, but you can do nothing about them. And the same way we look into the future, we look into it with either at fear or like happy anticipation. Our mm-hmm. informed choice in the present, which we could only make if we are actually in the present, non-judgmentally and aware, um, then we are able to make an informed choice which does influence our future to a certain point. But if we're so living with the fear of the future that we are actually paralyzed right now, we react like a Newton's cradle. Mm-hmm. And we aren't able to make our decision right now, which actually affects us right now and does impact on our future. And then you go on to say that thoughts are, thoughts themselves are neither good nor bad. Yes. Um, a thought is just a messenger. Mm-hmm. So if we have um, DHL delivering a gift uh, or something, we don't hold on to the truck. We don't hold on to the person. We don't even hold on to the packaging, but we look what's mm. inside that packaging and we take that. So yeah. if a thought, for instance, of the future is, um, okay, maybe my thought, oh my God, panic is welling up. Am I ever going to pack the house up in time? Okay. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. thought is fear of the future. But if I bring it now, into now and realize it's just a thought, what is the message yes. telling me? It's just telling me, get hold of package boxes, mm-hmm. phone people who will come and um, you know, put it into storage or whatever, do something now. And then you you. You follow the action. Yeah. You don't get frozen in the thought. So you're sort of, you're sort of like guided by the present or what the, you, what, what the present requires of you, maybe yeah, I should say. I mean, we all have a future, so we don't deny the fact we've got a future. We can't live like ostriches with our head in the sand. But mm. if we allow the future or the past to so paralyze us that we are unable to, that we are reactive mm-hmm. instead of proactive or active, yeah. Wow. Did we are damaging ourselves? The idea that thoughts are neither good or bad. I think that's yeah, I think something that we dwell on a lot. And thoughts are transient. Mm-hmm. Thoughts are like clouds in the sky. They come and they go. So you can't say I'm not going to have a thought. The thought's going to be there. You can't. You, you've got a brain. Your thoughts are going to come and go. But they're also transient. Mm-hmm. And good or bad thoughts don't last forever. So just if you look at the sky, sometimes it's nice blue, other times there's storm clouds, other times there's those little fluffy white clouds. But they come and go. So if in the moments that you are feeling so distressed, you have all these thoughts going, just focus again on your breathing and allow. don't hang on to those thoughts. Allow mm-hmm. them to come, allow them to go. And focus think- on your breathing. I think that really ties into, and I'll give it to you in a second now, Lingi, with your um, your 
like your newfound coping mechanism of cancel, cancel, cancel. I just, I, that's exactly what I thought when um, Renata was kind of explaining this idea of, you know, thoughts being transient and that they're neither negative or positive. But I, I don't know, I just I just think that ties in so nicely with, with your concept of just, you know, you're able to really just make yourself focus in the present when you absolutely need to. Yes. Mm. Yes. So even for people who can't sleep, you're like pe people with depression or anxiety that can't sleep. Mm -hmm. You can look around and see five things at night. You can feel four things. Yeah. Um, you can either hear or smell. That's where I said yeah. you can move the three or two around, depending where you are. But I, I still try and hear three. Smell two. You can smell your bedding. You can smell your hand or whatever. Um, and the one thing that you taste, which is generally a glass of water or something that you've had before you go to sleep, and then concentrate on your breathing. And when those mm -hmm. thoughts overwhelm you, go back to your breathing. Go back to your breathing till you calm. And then when you calm, you can also perhaps think better. Because also when you're not calm, our bodies go into a permanent or go into like a fight or flight or freeze response, your, your, your panic attack or your panic yeah. responses. Mm -hmm. um, and the moment you're in that response, you, you then don't breathe properly. The moment you don't breathe properly, your brain doesn't get the oxygen it needs. The moment the brain doesn't get the oxygen it needs, it just is a vicious circle that you think don't think properly anymore. So the moment you can calm yourself and start breathing, you're able to then calm down yourself physiologically. Mm -hmm. So mentally you are able to cope. I think that's something that people often um, get frustrated by is when people say, just breathe. And I think you have right now taken it from this concept of just, well, you know, whatever I thought breathing was, and you've, mm -hmm. you've, you've made it so real. You've made it so tangible that these breathing exercises are not just, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not just, they're not throwaway uh, concepts. Instead, there's, there's really this concrete idea. And I love the steps. I love this five, four, three, two, one concept where you talk about how that really makes you focus more than anything else, it's not it's not just the breathing. It really is about how you bring yourself back into the present. And I think a lot of the time we struggle with that when you're in an anxiety cycle. You really struggle to just um, concentrate your thoughts without them running amok. And, mm. you know, you were talking about the cancel, 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 Abby. And the one thing mm -hmm. that came up for me is in rumination, that's often what happens is we focus so much on the past and we, you know, dissect it to such a point that we spiral. And when we think mm -hmm. about the future, that anxiety again is just so real. Whereas using some of these tools, I mean, I'm going to try these. I'm definitely going to um, try and put these into practice and, and, mm -hmm. and see how that assists me. When, you, when you're in that anxiety, depressed state, you, you have to actually carry on you have to do it. I mean, there are days that you end up doing it more than other days, but it's just such a good tool to put yourself in the present because from the present, you can make an informed choice about now and what the present's a good place to be. That's it, mm. quite a nice, it, the present is a good place to be because with the present, you can, and it doesn't matter what religion you are, God's grace and your informed choices are what actually pave your way for the future. 
No, definitely. And I'd, I'd like to think of the present as almost like a, maybe, I don't know why, but like every time I, I, I have an idea or I'm trying to conceptualize something, I have these ideas at the back of my mind. And when Renata was talking about uh, sort of like, you know, how thoughts are transient, I just kind of kept thinking about how the past is very much like kind of sitting in a movie theater and waiting for the images to pop up on the screen. But then it's very easy to kind of walk out of that movie theater at the same time if you don't like it, if if that makes sense. Mm. That definitely makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, um, no, because it's it, it's sort of like a there's a choice. Like sometimes I think it's it's fine to sort of reminisce and look back on um, the past in the sense of like it's almost like gauging where you are and what it is you would like to do. But I think when we and, you know, we've said this time and time again, Links, where it's like we have to move forward because like you can't just stay in the the peril of who you once were I think I don't know what you think about that Renata the past is also thoughts okay of Mm -hmm. the past which like we were talking about the messenger and the messages Mm -hmm. so maybe a thought of the past I mean if if you've done something that you perhaps regret in the past okay Mm -hmm. um I don't know let's think of something someone died Okay. Yes. And mm. you regret not having phoned them. You can't hang on to that thought of that regret for the rest of your life. Okay. Which is the message. Mm. The regret is the messenger. What you could say is the messenger is regret. What is the message? The message is I am going to perhaps phone my, if we father died, my mother every day to see how she is. I'm going to phone one friend every single day. During the course of a month, I would have phoned and, and at least gotten to speak to one friend at least once, say you've got 20 friends or mm-hmm. whatever. So uh, you do still have to take that thought, but don't take it as either good or bad. Take the thought as a messenger and use that in your present to do something that will impact mm now and also pave the way for a future so i don't think one can't just look at it and say um it's a movie there's nothing i could do about it Mm -hmm. Um, i think the point i'm more trying to make is that you can't live in the past it's gone Mm -hmm. but you can use those thoughts good or bad take take the message that the messenger thought is giving you and work on that so you're actually doing something proactive, not reactive. I Does that kind of make sense in a funny worded way. I I want to hang on to that for a little because I think you know often um, when people are trying to be proactive and don't have access to counselling and um, to other tools, what often happens is that they will um, they will look for other ways. They'll They'll seek, you know, self-help ideas and books. And often that's frowned upon. But when you talk about being reactive, I think to myself, a lot of the time when you're dealing with your mental health, a lot of it is reactive. A lot of it is not um, well thought out. And um, I, I mean, and that's my experience is that I find that when I'm in a depressive episode, I'm not necessarily thinking through uh, solutions or even thinking through, like you said, how um, 
how it's all feedback, actually. All of my mm. thoughts are just feedback in some way. Instead, I want to react. Instead, I want to um, either That's hold on to the emotion. And it is, yes, definitely. It is a knee-jerk reaction. It's like a Newton's cradle. You know those old Newton's cradles where you had all those balls on kind of like a string thing? And when you hit mm-hmm. the one, picked up the one ball and you dropped it, it hit all the other balls, we clack, 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 clack. It's yeah. like a yeah. complete Newton's cradle instead of actually taking time to to breathe. Um, the the There's a, quite a lot that, I mean, I don't know, I'm not advertising for you, but it's practicalmindfulness.com and mm-hmm. thoughtsfirst.com. Um, and it's really pretty good. I think I, you know, for people just to look at, I don't know, that it, it really helps me um, when I'm mm-hmm. anxious and when I'm feeling depressed or even study nerves. It was just like a way to, and I get study nerves, second to none, believe it or not. Um, it was just a way for me to sit in that exam room and instead of, with, with my hands sweating, with my, I could feel I was hyperventilating. I could, I, I go absolutely blank out of fear in exams. And I was able to actually use that, position myself mm. in time or space, breathe, get my breathing regulated, get my the oxygen to my brain, get my whatever, synapses, whatever else works with breathing, I don't know. I mean, there's a whole lot of biological things that work when you breathe, um, but that, that they work with the different areas of your brain and get them right, and that sort of kind of gets all your nervous senses right. I'm not sure how that works, but anyway. Um, but it definitely works. Wow. I'm mm. going to shift gears a little bit, and because mm-hmm. um, this, this is... Yeah, this has been really good. I think that we've both learned a lot and there's a lot that we can think about. And I think, especially like I said, with breathing, often people um, often people just think that, how's that going to work? And, and you've really given some tangible ways in which we can apply that and, and see how that helps us. Um, but as I said, I want to shift gears and ask you a little bit. I know that you said that you've done a little bit of... Um, counseling as well and so maybe share with us um what do you think how how do we get people into counseling like if you were to meet someone and they were to say hey i'm not feeling great what are the ways in which we can determine that someone needs counseling and once they have that counseling one of the things i often ask is how do you know if someone is a good fit Okay. Um, sorry, before before I go with that, um, I want to also mention there's a lovely company, Breathworks, that does breathing techniques. Okay. Um, I, mm-hmm. they, they actually did a course as well. How do you, I don't, all I think is if you think someone needs counselling, I think that one needs to be an empathetic listener, first of all. I don't mm-hmm. think one can ever force anyone into a situation that they don't want. So I think it's very, very important as a friend or as a family member of someone who is needing um, mental health care Mm. um, is to be an empathetic and a a genuine listener. So uh, to have some congruence, so not to be false about your listening, not to pretend you care or not to pretend you're a person you're not, and to be genuinely empathetic, to try and genuinely understand the person, but also to understand the person from their point of view. Mm. So Mm. accept them from their point of view. Um, 
it is very, very easy when someone comes to you and they're sad or they're anxious to say, oh, stop being anxious. There's nothing to be anxious about. Yeah. That's your point mm. of view. In their view, in their world, they are anxious. And no amount of telling them not to be anxious is going to stop it. So put yourself empathetically, mm-hmm. understandingly in their place first. And then maybe say, I am really concerned about you. I love you. These are the things mm-hmm. that concern me. Mm. And, 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 but be genuine about it. And then talk to them, understand, listen, spend time with them. Maybe offer to go with them to possibly even a doctor first. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's not a mental mm-hmm. thing. Maybe it is a hormonal thing on, on like PMT or gone overboard or something. I don't know. Okay, I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. Once they've gone to the doctor, offer to go with them to a psychiatrist, a psychologist or whatever. So I don't think it is anyone's right, unless the person is a danger to themselves or to other people around, to mm-hmm. actually force therapy on anyone. Mm. Um, this is my personal view, okay? It's got nothing to do with any therapy I've done. It's got nothing to do with anyone I've ever worked for. This is my personal view. I think mm-hmm. with empathetic understanding, most people actually have it in them, ideas of how they can help themselves. Mm. And if you talk to them and really understand them, they'll find their own solutions. Yes, you can guide along the way, but it's not mm. do this, do the other. It's would you like? Can I help? What about? What do you think? How would you handle this? Mm-hmm. Give, them, give them the environment where they're safe and cared for and understood. And then they will open up. That, that's just my thought. Okay, it's different if someone's a danger to themselves or others. Then you have to actually step in. Mm. Then you have to do something. But if they are still coping in some way, they're human beings. They're not a walking illness. If, if a friend of yours had flu, you would offer to drive them to the doctor. If a friend of yours went into labor, you'd offer to drive them to the hospital. Mm. I think mental mm-hmm. illness is nothing to be kind of scared of and not touched or whatever. I think one can say to a friend, I'm worried about you. Yes. And also maybe the person who is the concerned person to do research, to actually find out, am I, am I being overly dramatic and overly neurotic about this? Mm-hmm. You're like, I've read a tiny bit on depression. Um, So, golly, I am now the person who knows everything about it. Mm. Have you ever found that, you know, when talking to people who may not necessarily have a frame of reference for mental illness, they themselves are not a sufferer and they themselves don't really know anyone who who has a mental illness or maybe have only really had an acute episode of it, do, do you find that there is still a hesitance to really converse about it and really get to the nitty-gritty of well this is just you know how some people are born and we should you know really not only shy away but we should be as supportive as we possibly can I think it's very culture specific as well Mm. Um, I think in a lot of 
cultures, what the one culture might think of as a mental illness, mm. another culture might think of it as a gift. Mm. So I think one has to be very, very careful how one um, necessarily labels mm. a mental illness because it might not be a mental illness. It might just be something that's a learned cultural behavior. Mm. Not everything is a mental illness. For instance, no, grief. Grief mm -hmm. showed differently. And I mean, this is an easy one to do, uh, differently in different cultures. Some cultures, people are allowed to cry. Some cultures, men, grown men don't cry, okay? These poor men aren't allowed to grieve because men don't cry. Others, they're allowed mm -hmm. to tear off their clothing, tear out their hair, do whatever, because that's a cultural-specific thing. Yeah. How does one mourn? What is one's belief? How's one's, how has one grown up in society? So I think one has to be very, very careful before you say this person is reacting incorrectly because what might be incorrect might just be different. And in that person's reality, yes, it is not incorrect. It is that mm. person's socially constructed reality. Because what is reality? It's the social construction of what is truth and what is the truth, isn't it? Mm. I think you need to... Explain that a little more for our listeners. Different cultures have different realities, mm -hmm. which for them is their reality because it is a socially constructed reality. Mm -hmm. So perhaps not necessarily even cultural, but maybe just as day to day, people might say the only thing that is real is what I can prove by science. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So anything else is not real. Other people might say, um, mm, how can I say it? What is real is that it is what I could see relationships with or what people see in front of them. What is real to me might not be real to you. I perhaps believe in a world that has, it's more than the world I can see. Okay, there's mm. a spiritual realm. There's a human mm -hmm. realm, there's an animal realm, there's a there's a nature realm, the trees, the rocks, the birds, the dogs, the cats, the whatever, the insects, the people, the people who have gone before me, okay? Mm -hmm. My creator are all connected somehow, okay? I might believe that. I might believe that um, this is the way things are. You are born on this earth. When you die, you die. So I will only listen to what people tell me here. So I think, I, I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly. Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. So, so, but that is that person's reality. And at the same way, if a person comes to you and they are perhaps um, believing that they have got voices that are talking to them every night, okay? Mm. It's no use mm -hmm. going to say to them, rubbish, there's no such thing as voices. Well, this is my belief anyway, okay? Rather mm -hmm. say to him, yeah, I hear you. They, I hear you. Their voice is talking to you every night. How are we going to help you live with those voices that are talking to you every night? Yeah, exactly. So like almost a frame of saying that it's fine that you hear these, but it, it 
it cannot um, disrupt the rest of your life, if I can put it yeah, that I would, way. I would use the word file, because, but mm -hmm. I would say I hear you, mm -hmm. you have these voices, how can we help you live with them? Because the moment mm -hmm. you go and say rubbish, it's no voices. You're just going to have whoever it is, their backs are going to go up and boy, they're not going to be open to anything. But if you actually go to them from an empathetic, understanding point of view, and mm. helps them live with their voices. Who knows? Those voices might one day just only come back sometimes. Mm. But that's my view, okay? Um, as I said, I'm not a qualified psychologist. This is my this is my view as a person. Mm. And quite an old person, by the way, but anyway. <laughs> I don't think you're as old as you think you are. <laughs> we won't go that way. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I, I, that's, that's my airy fairy like let's love the world kind of you. <laughs> yeah. um, this has been so insightful. I think that there are so many aspects that I hadn't considered. And I think I love that you talk about um, empathetic listening because we've talked about that before and maybe not with that term, but we really have said that a lot of the time, the reason that people um, come to you is because they're asking you to listen. They're asking for some support. And when we discount their feelings, when we discount their experience, um, we then push them away. We then mm. sometimes exacerbate um, mm. the struggle that they're going through. And I think, you know, you've put it so well. I really appreciate the way that you have um spoken so openly about your experience. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? Something I want to ask you, don't you think that most people, or do or don't you, given the right space, actually have the ability to work out whatever is troubling them for themselves? With the right asking of questions, with the right space, with the right environment mm. and only sometimes does it actually need um almost like a tutoring but yes. most times can actually people have the ability to work out stuff for themselves it's just not always yeah, sometimes, a lot you, of the time. sometimes you just need a soundboard mm. someone to kind of like get you to that to that thought not even to that knowing place if i can put it that way that says oh Hold on, I've known this the entire time. Why didn't I just do it before? But you, you, you sometimes need, I found that sometimes I just kind of need a prompting or, and then, you know, that's why I think Linky and I are so close because we just sort of need to talk ourselves to our solution. point, yeah. Mm. And my last thought would actually be to anyone who is in any way suffering or, I'm not even say suffering from, I'm going to say living with a mental illness is, it's not a stigma. If you had flu, you'd go to the doctor. If you had tummy ache, you'd go to the doctor. If you had toothache, you'd go to the dentist. Um, if you need new clothing, you'll go buy yourself new clothing. If you are feeling anxious, depressed, anything, um, drug use, anything, any, any sort of mental illness, and mm. bipolar, whatever, it's not a stigma. You are a whole human being and you have a right to live a life as happily as anyone else so go and get the assistance 
you need. Um, you deserve it. You have one life, live it. Wow. Renata, there's not much more to be said. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, as I said, there's been a lot of information that you've shared with us. And I hope that for our listeners, that you'll be able to apply some of these techniques and that again, that you will know that your life is important. Thanks again. We'll catch you on our next episode. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. And a note, we are not mental health professionals. All opinions expressed in this podcast are our own.